in all seriousness, uh, some of you guys know this. Uh, probably most of you don't. Uh, God saved me when I was 17, pretty reluctantly. I was like, my parents were the type of people that, like probably most of you, dropped me off at like a church camp, reluctantly, and I was kind of like ticked that they wanted me to go to this thing. And God actually saved me. I was, kind of, I was kind of confronted with all the ways that I kind of like just loved and served myself <laughs> as a 17-year-old. I know none of you do that. Uh, but uh, I was pretty confronted with just like who I was and kind of like, dang, I kind of had this like idea of God that was actually not who he was. And so uh, God saved me right from my senior year. Any seniors in the house? No. All two of them? Two? Wow. They've got like eight months before they die and get kicked out of their parents' house and start paying bills. Anybody have bills that come with their name on them yet? No. Yes. When a, when a bill comes with your name on it and you know that if you don't pay it, something's going to happen to you, like things start to get a little bit like sobering of life. It's like, man. It like is, it's like when Billy Madison just grabs all the little kids in class and tells them to stay <laughs> That's like probably the most helpful analogy I think about growing old. But uh, I went to school in South Dakota. I played football up there. Uh, and I was up there for three years, and I had six different surgeries, and I was just hurt all the time. So if you didn't know this, football players, they are called football players because they play. I didn't play a single game. So I don't know what I would have been called, a football herder, a football injured. Uh, and so as I, as, I got, as I started to follow Jesus, right before my senior year of high school, uh, football is kind of all I knew. And uh, I, go to, I go to school uh, in South Dakota, and then for three years, I, what I like, loved and what I kind of basically worshipped uh, was football. It kind of got taken away from me. And so all the things that I grew up hearing, and if you're new to church, it doesn't take you too long to hear this around church. It's like, God is good, and he is in control. Uh, well, I, about the first year of my life of following Jesus, uh, God didn't seem very good, and he didn't seem very in control. Because what was happening, I like, assumed was actually pretty bad, because it's you know, hurt my body. It was frustrating to not be playing. So, as we think about uh, into a school year, jumping into a series on the book of Colossians that's written like 2,000 years from where we're at today, uh, I just want to ask this question. Have you guys ever thought that, you know, felt, un- or maybe you felt uncertain about maybe what Christian faith lays out to you? Have you ever maybe asked the question, or struggle to believe everything you hear at church or find things hard to believe in that people, adults tell you or that you hear from like old people in church. Anybody struggle to believe everything you hear? No? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm the only one. Uh, so we're jumping into, for seven weeks, uh, the book of Colossians. If you have a phone Bible or Bible, you can get it out. We're going to be in Colossians 1. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're, <clears throat> we're, we're starting the seven-week journey, and through this book... Uh, this is a letter to the, a church in like, Colossae. Can you guys say Colossae? Uh, they used to name cities like a lot more like cooler than like Oklahoma City. Like it's not very uh, creative if you live in Oklahoma and wonder what it, like the biggest city should be called. You just add city to whatever word that is, uh, and you get Oklahoma City. Uh, this letter it was written to like a church, in not like a church to a church. About 60 years after the death of Jesus of Nazareth. So if you don't know, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is who, who the whole Bible is actually about. Uh, if you didn't know that, that's like free tonight. Uh, so context to Colossians. We spent a little bit of time of this two weeks ago. Um, but this is written by Paul, who used to be Saul. He used to be like a terrorist and killed Christians. 
uh, he met Jesus, God changed his name, made him Paul, and then he became a church planner. So he preaches, Epaphras, the guy that actually started uh, Colossians, hears Paul preach, becomes a Christ follower, and then goes back to his hometown and plants a church. So if that's not scary about meeting Jesus, it's like some of you guys could like accidentally plant a church one day, which is like kind of scary, unless you're excited about that. But, so that's where we're at. Paul writes this letter, and he's kind of aiming at that same question to all the things that you hear in church that apparently none of us struggle with. But he's asking that, he's trying to answer that question. Is, is Jesus enough? So you hear, man, God is good, he's in control, and all these things. Um, but that's just not really our reality. It's not what you hear at school. It's not really what you actually experience if you've ever, like, lived and had any sort of, like, hardship. Uh, Jesus being enough kind of sounds like a stale truth. So Paul's aiming at that, trying to answer that question, is Jesus enough? So we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, five short verses. Uh, I will read them for us. This is Paul talking to this church. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner... Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and all patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So those five verses, anybody catch how many times he said all? Look at verse 9. He says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and all understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for endurance and all patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Uh, If we're looking at that question, is Jesus enough, and we're not just allowing our grandma to answer it for us, or look at a coffee cup that wants to answer it for us, uh, if we're asking ourselves, man, is Jesus really enough? Like, Can I trust that idea? Paul's first answer to that question is, in Jesus, you actually lack nothing. Uh, I know none of you have your phones out right now, but when, if you do, uh, within about two or three minutes, most of you will get uh, an ad. Anybody ever like, talk about something, and then like, a couple minutes later, your phone pops up with an ad about that thing you talked about? No? Just me? I'm the only one that the CSI, or CSI, CIA, and whoever else that's important is spamming their phone. Uh, you can't be on your phone for longer than like two or three minutes without getting like an ad from somebody. Uh, <clears throat> did you guys know that um, 129 billion with a B dollars is spent by ad and marketing companies, social media advertising businesses in the U.S. alone, just to get you guys under the age of 18 to buy their stuff? Like 100, not like 129 billion dollars, like globally. Not $129 million, billion for like all of adults. It's like, hey, we're going to spend $129 billion every year to get young people to want more stuff. So if you've ever like watched, like been in like a YouTube black hole 
and like you're like four hours into these videos that you just didn't know how you got into, and you see all these advertisements, people have spent up to $129 billion to just get you to want more stuff. You can't be on your phone for longer than five minutes before you see an ad. And so we live basically, if, if someone's wanting you to buy more stuff, they obviously want you to have more stuff. Pretty simple. Two plus two equals four. They want you to buy something. You must not have that something, so you must need that something. So you need more stuff. So you need uh, some of the most annoying social media accounts ever. You need more followers. So like this link or like this page. You can buy more followers. Any like follower buyers in here? Anybody just super proud of buying? I guess that used to be a thing. I don't know if people still buy followers. Is that still something you can do? Yeah. Cool. Anybody, anybody want to admit to liking and buying spam followers, bots? So, you know, some, some of those ads and some of those pages are like, hey, you need more followers. Some of them are just, hey, you just need more clothes and more shoes. Anybody got new shoes in here? Dang. You guys got more stuff? Uh, some of those, hey, you just need more experiences or you just need more pleasure. And so some of them are like your favorite food joints or advertisements telling you that you need more. Uh, more pleasure. So you get like, I, I regularly, I don't know if it's because I'm married or what, and I guess Instagram knows that I'm married. They'll like send me like date things like, hey, date box for $9.99 a month. You can do this. Like, so like kind of sell me like more experiences. Um, sometimes I get like adult like advertisements for like, hey, here's how you can like refinance your mortgage and I'm like that makes me feel really old uh, but I, I just get inundated and continue to get confronted with all this stuff that wants me to have more and that creates a real like just basically reality of dis, you're dissatisfied with what you have you're anxious and fearful that what you lack uh, and what you do have is not enough and then there's just that overwhelming feeling that you're living in lack and you're actually living in scarcity and that the things in your life aren't enough so if Paul is saying, in Jesus, you lack nothing, for these Colossians, Jewish religious leaders were basically telling them, uh, hey, you're not the right race or ethnicity, so you actually aren't, like, you don't have enough in just Jesus. You actually need more. Uh, so they didn't have enough based on their race. They were being troubled with, like, all these lies. They were being tried to con- <laughs> being convinced uh, that they still needed to do more, be more, get more. Does that sound familiar? You need more followers. You need more clothes and shoes. You need more stuff. You just need more experiences. You just need more. That's like advertising 101. Just get them to buy more, need more, want more. So I know faith in Jesus is not like a current reality for everyone here. We're all over the map. Some of you are just good church kids who are far from God. Some of you are trying to follow Jesus himself. Some of you are somewhere else on the map and just trying to figure things out. But all of us are aiming our lives at something, some idea of pleasure, comfort, identity, or purpose. We all have like this big, glowing idea of the good life, and we're aiming at that. So that could be a lot of things. Uh, and if I would just argue, and uh, we could probably look at your life the past seven days, that all of those somethings, if not Jesus, are telling you that you lack something. So if you're aiming your whole life on... Uh, I want to like look good or I want to be pretty so that I can be desired or wanted or just for confidence in myself, uh, you're never going to be pretty enough. Because what happens when like, you give it two or three years and then our culture starts to say something else is pretty? Like two or three years ago, it wasn't like the high eyebrows or I don't really know what it all is for girls, whatever else is pretty. Um, but like I, I walked into Kendra Scott the other day. That's where my wife works. It's a jewelry store. It's a trap for guys 
don't ever get significant others and go into your Scott. You'll just spend lots of money. That's why I made Heather work there, so I don't have to ever spend any money on jewelry. I'm just kidding. But all of these uh, models all had like these same eyebrows, and I told Heather, like, all these models got the same eyebrow. Like, is that like? But it was like pitching you a like basically an image of like this is what's pretty, this is what's like beautiful. Be like this girl. Uh, so maybe it's not you know pretty. Some of you are like, I don't care. I'm ugly and I'm <laughs> I'm ugly and I'm proud. <laughs> like SpongeBob and. But, so maybe it's just like, not, maybe that's not for you, but maybe it's just like, man, I just want to be liked and not be, be cool enough. Uh, well, just like, the reality is like, uh, you're going to be lacking and never cool enough. Because eventually you're going to say something that's like, stupid. Eventually you're going to like, fart in the wrong crowd. And eventually you're just going to like, be found out that you're actually like, super weird. Not just like, kind of weird where it's funny. You're just like, super weird. And like, you like, put tuna and hot sauce in the microwave and eat it. Or something disgusting like that. Some of you guys eat mayonnaise, and your friends are going to find that out. Oh, mayonnaise is good. <laughs> or, hey, maybe you're not like a, hey, I don't really care about being cool. Like, I'm like an anti-rebellious person. Like, like I'm, I don't want to be cool. I just actually like, want to be really good at my hobby so people think I'm like, important. So you've made like, excellence your little aim. And the only problem with there is like, there's always someone better than you. I'm going to just like fault on like you guys probably aren't that good at sports in comparison to people that are getting paid to do it you're probably not that good at your hobbies of music or art uh, because you're not getting paid to do that so you're still lacking on that end uh when you and then this basically just leads you to like hey i'll be happy when fill in the blank happens and when i get more of fill in the blank so paul's reminding us that in the gospel of jesus if you did not know you don't lack anything not because you know everything. Some of you are in here are like, I know everything. Like, been in here forever. And it's like, that's just not the reality. That's not why you don't lack anything. You don't lack anything because you just have the power and the endurance uh, by yourself. No, the gospel of Jesus actually says, you lack nothing because in Jesus you're granted the wisdom, the power, and the endurance of Jesus himself. If you didn't know, the gospel basically lays out this idea, God himself put on flesh put on our fragility and actually showed us how to be human. So most of us mess up and our parents are on our backs and we're like, hey, I'm just human, I make mistakes. Uh, actually, like humans were actually created to like know God, be in an intimate relationship with him, be under his authority, living perfectly with God the Father, God the Son. Hum- humans mess that up. Jesus comes to earth, shows us how to be human. So the first human that truly lived, God himself, then comes to earth, Shows us how to do that. And though you and I live lives where we're constantly like craving more, the gospel actually says you lack nothing. So in Jesus, the very um, in-your-face reality that you actually don't need more kind of confronts everybody in the room who's like following all these pages of adventures, more stuff, more whatever it may be. Uh, the gospel actually says you don't lack anything. Uh, which if you're like me, it makes you kind of feel like, well, there's probably a lot of areas I don't feel like I have the wisdom, the endurance, the understanding, or the patience of Jesus, so that doesn't really make any sense. So how could Paul be so sure of this? How could this idea of you don't lack anything in Jesus not just be a cute idea but actually be true? Look at verse 12 through 14. This is Paul continuing. He says, giving thanks to God who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So a lot of churchy words, a lot of words that uh, maybe we don't use. 
But the, the second way Paul wants to answer that question is, is Jesus really enough? Is the reality that in Jesus, if your life is hidden in Jesus, if you decided to put faith in, hey, I'm not my own, like my way of doing life usually doesn't end up well, is that in Jesus you actually inherit a kingdom? Uh, we don't live in a, like a kingdom, we, like, unless you call America like the kingdom of America, which would make Trump our king and would make other things just really odd about other kingdoms uh, that do have kings and queens. Uh, so that idea of you inherit a kingdom in Jesus, uh, maybe we're a little bit unsure what that means, but Paul points out the reality that if you're in Jesus, you've actually been qualified to share in his inheritance. And though you used to be a slave, like none of you guys are going to say like, hey, I used to be a slave, but now I'm just a seventh and eighth grader, like living at home. Like none of you in here are like, I used to, you know, just hang out in the domain of darkness, enslaved to myself and enslaved to Satan. But that's actually true of you. You didn't even know that this was a reality. And Jesus actually transferred you to his kingdom where you've been ransomed. So someone paid your ransom, actually took away the penalty of your sins. And you've not only been forgiven, but you've actually been saved from a wasted life. Uh, how many of you like, would raise your hand and be like, I just, you know what I'm really aiming my life at? A wasted life. Yeah, none of us are like, man, Lord, I just really hope tomorrow I wake up with a wasted life. No, you're actually safe from that as well. Uh, any dystopian novel fans in here? Hunger Games, Divergent, Maze Runner. 1984. 1984. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you didn't know, uh, dystopian literature, uh, here's a little quick lesson, is a genre of fictional writing, and it's used to explore social structures in a dark, nightmare world. And the term dystopia is defined as a society characterized by poverty, squalor and oppression. It sounds like a nice vacation. Poverty, squalor, and oppression. Have you guys ever noticed that the people in these movies or these books, if you're uh, more of a reader, they're living in a state of dystopia, so like an anti-utopia, but they're not even aware of the darkness that's controlling them. So like the evil guy or person or force or enemy uh, has basically convinced them to just think this is the way things are and the way things will be. Anybody notice that? Like, very beginning of the movies, you kind of just see people living life as is, maybe not happy, but they're like, man, this is just the way things are. I think of Divergent, like, Tris is like the first one that actually says, like, hey, what are we, why do we do it this way? I think it's Divergent, right? Tris, the girl? Yeah? Okay, good. They kind of run together. Uh, so think about, the, think about basically, like, the Hunger Games. Uh, all of the districts like know something is wrong. Like they don't really like the way things are, but none of them are really like rebelling uh, with the whole two people sent into the games thing until what? That's okay. You don't have to know. <clears throat> Nobody's aware of what's going on, uh, but I'm, they're basically like in darkness. But it's not until like an outside force, like Katniss, like at one end of one of the movies, just like she's like over the whole game, like shoots up an arrow, just blows up the bubble thing. And then you start to like, see all the like, corruption and snow and the games themselves. And then like a rebellion starts. But before she does that, nobody's actually aware of like, hey, it's like this, but it actually shouldn't be. And like, we should actually do something about it. Everyone's just kind of living as it. This is just the way things are. This is just the way things have always have been. So for these Colossians, these, this church in Colossae, they were tempted by the lie that they just needed a new freedom from their spiritual bondage. They just needed religious practices <clears throat> in their lives. For us, maybe it's not like a new freedom. None of us are saying like, hey, I'm enslaved to myself and the devil. 
Uh, and none of you guys are probably like really excited about religious practices. But for us, we're tempted with the lie that the good life is just right around the corner of getting more stuff. And so we've all got like our whole life around our screen that like, hey, if I could just get more connected through a screen, then I'll be happy. If I could just, that's a perfect time for a notification. <clears throat> so it's like not, so you, the good life that most of us are presented with is not that you just need Jesus, you just need more stuff. You just need more acceptance from other people. You just need that like romantic relationship you've been like seeing your friends have. You just need to like get your parents off your back. You need to stop making them tell you what to do. When you think about the truth claims made by our culture, I don't know if you guys know this, but like our culture has truth claims. I think some people just think like Christianity has truth claims. Uh, but when you think about the like who is popular, who is cool, uh, who has like the latest iPhone is like a, something people talk about. Who has like the most appealing social media? Like who do you actually want to follow? You follow them or you don't follow them. When you think about all that, like who is a part of the best groups or friends, like those truth claims are just telling you, I guess that this is just the way things are and the ways that they will always be. Nobody's challenging that. Like nobody's like, we've got, we've like rightly in the room. I just know like you guys in your own stories, you rightly in the room are like, hey, I've got some questions for Jesus and the Bible about these certain areas. I hear you talk about, you know, this and this and this. And I've got some questions for that. But none of us like regularly go throughout our day and just be like, I've got a lot of questions for culture. I've got like a lot of questions that like what all my friends think is really cool and what I'm supposed to be like aiming my life at when it comes to like romantic relationships or being liked by people uh, is a bad thing. We have lots of questions for Jesus in the Bible, but we have no questions for what our culture says is true. And it just kind of like gets us all to live in this like domain of darkness where this is just the way things are and the way things always will be. So Paul wants to just remind us that Jesus actually offers us a kingdom. You don't have to walk around blindly in the domain of darkness because Jesus actually qualified and transferred us to his kingdom. And if you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you actually inherit a kingdom. This kingdom is not like what you experience here on earth. This kingdom, you actually inherit not just a kingdom, but you inherit like a kingdom community. But this kingdom community actually comes with a king. And if it comes with a king, that actually means like you're not king. So just wrapping up, this king is not actually like asking you to do something for him. Uh, I think it's always really unhelpful language when people are like, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room and people are like, well, when I found God or when I got saved or when I decided to get my life right, it's just like that's just not really the story of the Bible or what the story is in here. Uh, in, in this kingdom, you don't actually give this king anything. He's actually done it all for you. He doesn't invite you to like, Put your, like, give him your heart. Like, I understand what people are trying to say when they say that, but he doesn't actually ask you to invite him into your heart. He's actually given his whole life for you. And this king, Jesus, actually offers you the reality that you can actually trust your whole life to him, and he will actually be enough amongst a culture that says you lack. And so if I think about one thing that, like, just stamps on this, like, whole text is that in Jesus, you don't lack anything, but all of us still feel this, like, ache of, I feel like I'm lacking things. So what do we do with the, the hole in our chest that says, like, hey, you're still just not enough. Not pretty enough, not cool enough, not funny enough. You don't have the right stuff. Not the right friends. If you're in Jesus today, you're actually invited to remember that you don't need more. And that's good news. You belong to the kingdom of Jesus, where the good life is defined by knowing the king and living within that kingdom. 
So the good life actually comes with a king who actually like calls balls and strikes and tells you like, hey, like those things are out of bounds uh, for your flourishing. But if you're not in Jesus, you're in actually, you're actually like invite. This text actually invites you not just to the king and his kingdom, but it actually invites you into like just admitting that you're actually a pretty crummy king if we looked at your life. The choices that you make and the things that you, you find yourself just kind of addicted to and the ways that you're lacking and wanting more, uh, Jesus actually invites you to like not be king. We're all pretty crummy kings in this, in this room. I've got plenty of terrible stories of when I tried to be king and things usually didn't work out well. So uh, we're going to bounce into small groups because this room is hot and this bug is in my face. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, You pray for your friends in the room. Jesus, would you help us as we look to your kingdom? That's even weird to say, God, that you have a kingdom, and it's not like this world. You're a king, and that means that we're not. And so, Jesus, would you help us understand what that means, what your word means? We, We trust that your word is actually truth, and so would you lift up truth, and would we submit our lives to truth? God, we live in a culture that wants to exchange truth for a lie. And so would you confront all the lies that we believe in this room, that I believe in this room, that my friends in here believe in this room? Would you correct us where we need to be corrected? You promised to give us true life, and so we invite that. Jesus, would you shape and mold us like your son? It's in your name. Amen.